Excellent. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming to this, our first Axton reading of the fall semester. We're happy to see you here. Um, a reminder to everyone that there is a master class tomorrow from 10 to noon in Humanities 300. So um, everyone is welcome to come to that. Four people, four, uh, four poets will be sharing their work and then uh, anyone can come and join in though. And Adam in the back has some packets if you're interested in looking through any of that before tomorrow's workshop. So pick one of those up. They're fun, they're fun to hear how, how a different uh, writer approaches um, our wonderful student writing here. I'm Christy Maxwell. I'm an assistant professor of English and an affiliate faculty member in women's gender and sexuality studies here at the University of Louisville. And I'd like to welcome you to tonight's reading by Marianne Salmon. Salmon. Yes. Oh, I meant to ask you. Yeah. Salmon, like the fish. Yes, Wonderful. Yeah. Um, made possible by our English department and creative writing program. I'd also like to take this time to remind you about our upcoming readings. Fiction writer and Kentucky native Garth Greenwell will give the keynote reading at the Writer's Block Festival on November 16th. That's another great opportunity to enroll in some workshops and things like that if you want another um, creative writing instructional opportunity coming up. Um, we'll also have Casey Plett, who is a two-time Lambda Literary Award winner, reading here in this room on November 21st. So a lot of things going on. Um, in, in November. Now on to tonight's reader, Marianne Salmon. Now I've got to re it's revise like it in my head, I know. Um, Salmon, I've been saying it wrong all my life. <laughs> it's the author of six full-length collections of poetry, Air, Light, Dust, Shadow, Distance, winner of the 2017 42 Miles Press Poetry Award, which was recently uh, published and is on sale in the back of the room. My Life in Heaven, winner of the 2012 Field Poetry Prize. Beauty Breaks In, Purr, Inside the Yellow Dress, and Captivity Narrative. Her poems have appeared in Field, Colorado Review, Kenyon Review, The Ohio Review, The Journal, Third Coast, Verse, and Elsewhere. She received her MA from, the Ohio, from Ohio University and her MFA from the University of Virginia. Um, for those of you who are, who are thinking about taking a similar path, that would be one of the things that you can um, talk to her about in the Q&A today. Among her awards are a Creative Artist Grant from ArtServe Michigan, the Emily Dickinson Prize from the Poetry Society of America, that sounds very fitting. Um, the James Wright Poetry Award from Mid-American Review and a Pushcart Prize. With poems that have been or might easily be described as elegant, spare, contemplative, and agile, readers cannot help but experience the effects of her compositional process, which she has described um, in this way in an interview in Columbia Journal. I love this uh, description. Um, she tells us she listens at the poem like you'd listen at a door or a seashell. I usually finish the poem not in one sitting exactly, but during one period of time in my life. It's difficult to return to much later. I'm not the same listener. It's this quality of attention that gives her poems their cohesiveness, allowing them to hold the various threads of one's mind and vision as a crystal bowl might a variety of fruits. If a still life comes to mind, we should not be surprised. Salmon's poems seem as carefully attuned to lines, to shadow and light, to the shape of things. We might add air, dust, and distance, borrowing from her title, um, that she borrows from Denise Levertov's uh, essay, some notes on organic form. In the inner life, she writes, dears move through it, of course, and every evening I cook dinner without help Night comes to town. Sometimes someone says something extraordinary. The old pain and the current wonder exist. Anton van der Zee rightly names the recurrent gesture in Salmon's poems cerebral realism and argues her poems are most alive not when they achieve a certain meditative balance, but when they document and dramatize the difficulty of such concentration. I have a good feeling about what we're gonna experience tonight. 
listening together. Um, so please join me in welcoming Mary Ann Salmon. That was very nice. Is this on? Can we tell? Okay. Um, I'm so glad you have a good feeling. It's so nice to have a good feeling. You gotta have one when you can. Um, I'm gonna try to not wear my glasses because then I won't be able to really see you, but we'll see how it goes. Um, I wanna thank Christy so much and Hadley and Joshua for dinner and um, all the interesting things we learned about and how halibut should be cooked and things along those lines. And to all of you for being here. Um, who's in the workshop tomorrow? officially okay anyone else is welcome to come uh, we will workshop the poems um, we're also going to do a few other things and if you come you're free to do them with us if you want to uh, you can do them in a sitting in the back of the room kind of way if you um, become shy or whatever but um, it'll be interesting it'll be fun I think okay my last name is Belgian by the way um, and it's a very common name in Belgium. We went there, some of us, some of my family, maybe five years ago, and we were like, we're gonna go to the cemetery and find our people or whatever. And salmon was just like everywhere. We couldn't narrow it down. So this is in uh, West Flanders. I'm gonna read a few poems from this book. Um, what was that lovely noise? This is called My Life in Heaven. This is a true account beginning now. Here's a birch basket, tens of feathers, none of which will ever belong again. This is like that, only more so. Once I was a little girl who tried to write it. Now I do 20 years worth of looking every afternoon. Like the insect that shed its before on the sand and unstuck its wings, two pairs, Time can't be wasted, some changes are forever. The lake's three greens know, and it's darker churning and it's eyelet edge. Given the chance, I'd wear that to meet you. People in West Virginia, because it's almost heaven, think that this book is about that, it's not. Um, that poem took place in Michigan and where I'm from and some of them, many of them are in West Virginia too, but that, no, that's a state slogan. That's not, you know. Anyway, um, uh, I have a home in Michigan and I have some, many years ago, the kids uh, who lived next door um, would draw, uh, they'd play church, first of all, and they would draw things on the sidewalk like crucifixes. I, I never did that myself. I was Catholic, so you'd think that would have been right up my alley, but um, no, they're Lutheran, so I don't know what you think about that. But anyway, this poem includes them and also um, uh, a lake in northern Michigan called Glen Lake, that some of you may know. This is called At Glen Lake versus The Birth of Anger. Briefly put, I was spring-fed, like many a lake. For his part, Jesus slept a lot while others worried. Returning home isn't easy. No one said it would be. Talk about comfort zones, sicky sadness. The children drew chalk crucifixes, two versions, please vote. All around the lake, tiki lights mean someone's making a party. Good for him is what I thought. I'll pray to that. This next poem I wrote when I was at the Hampton Inn in uh, Kent, Ohio, ahead of a reading. And sometimes with readings, there's you know like a classroom part, and then they drop you back off at the Hampton Inn or wherever. Um, things are much nicer at the Hilton downtown. Um, and you're just like, well, what does one do at the Hampton Inn? Um, so this is what happened. This is called Stupidity, Crabbiness, Moorings, and Love. Oh, and Jesus is here again. One possible Jesus was Jesus, stubbornly. For argument's sake, the clouds moved very fast. Good show, I wanted to say. The clarity is inside you is what I said instead. The professor and students nodded yes and no. Like when your mouth opened against mine. 
Keats was awfully young when he wrote those letters. I am frequently reminded. What can I say? Seduction circa 1819 still sounds good. The worst of it is mostly private. Of what? I asked myself, then snapped a photo in the hotel mirror. Keats is going to turn up tomorrow, too. Oh, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. So George Keats came to Kentucky, right? Anybody want to say anything about that? Is there anything to see? Like, the George Keats family lived here. There's, there's a, a cemetery. Oh. He's buried there. I love a cemetery. Mahalali's there, a lot of other famous. Really? Yeah. yeah. Colonel Sanders, yeah. Big bucket of chicken. The woman who wrote Happy Birthday. Wow, you all have so many famous people. Um, yeah, the, the George Keats thing, I read that in Keats's letters, uh, of course, and I think it was really his sister-in-law, Keats's sister-in-law, George's wife, who was doing the letter writing, but at one point, aren't they in Pennsylvania or something, and they're just like, there sure is a lot of this country. They're like, you know, and you're like, but they keep going, because, you know, things didn't really, those boys had a rough time, all those Keats boys, but anyway, I'm going to um, move to this book now. Um, this is called Long Sunday. It's one thing to be the space for heartache, another to invent it. The two fawns said, don't. Then for a while, some wind took my attention. And the female cardinal, who probably wasn't lost. In the illustrated forest, the treetops look sooty. But that's not the worry. I never can remember the point of fairy tales. Some people thrive on distraction. What is the nature of my fear? I was almost there, not quite. Um, this poem was published in the Kenyon Review, which was very lovely, but it originally had a different final line. It repeated the penultimate line, and David Baker, who's a poetry editor there, um, I usually don't tell stories about, like, about this, but it was this is a pretty good one, I think. He said to me, I don't like that ending. Can you put, do a different ending? And um, as Chrissy said in her introduction, I kind of I finish poems, and then they're done. I don't tinker with them. I mean, I, I listen and listen, and then I get them done, and if I send them out, they're done. And so I was like, oh, I don't know, and I flop down on my bed, like literally, like, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And, you know, but it's Kenyon Review and David Bain and Dave. Um, so I just pouted about it for a while, and then I was like, oh, I should just put the pouting right in. So that ending is kind of a pouty ending. You know, I was almost there, not quite. Yeah. That's my, uh, one of my sort of secrets about writing is just, you know, like, I can't write, just put that right in. Or I wish I had a piece of cake, just put that right in. Too, too often people are reaching for the poem like it's out there somewhere, or it's like some preconceived storyline that's like passing by like a train or something. It's not. That's not where it is at all. It's, it's right with you. Just I always say to my students, look down, like at your hands, look out the window, look into the past, look into the future. That's it. Just keep doing that. Look down, look up, look past the future. Okay. Thinking of little else. Then, finally, some sun across my desk. Another reason my go-to example is mercy. A wind comes through, and have you noticed dogwood blossoms tremble on their little shelves? What is private in nature? I'm thinking again of the rabbit not hidden in the grass. Some people have to contain multitudes. Has it started? Is this it? I often wonder. Suffering is an interesting concept. My business is to trust when the time comes. Do you get a lot of fog around here, being a river town? Because we get a lot of fogs in, in Morgantown. Monongahela goes through, and this is fog season for us. Spring and fall, very, very foggy. And I kind of live up a few ridges from the river, and you can see the fog down on the river, and um, that is in this poem a little bit. This is called For Years to Come. Walking in the dawn fog, considering grief, especially the grief of what others desire on our behalf, the long distance of that, the delicate burden. When did I give up the idea I began with? I recall learning endurance, my face in that mirror. 
Saints are famous for what they have renounced. That's not what I mean or need. The rose bushes I planted, will they be the thing? Sometimes loneliness overcomes me. Childhood, too, what was that all about? The interior life is life. The roses live there. I notice as many times a day as it takes. So in the midst of all of that, um, that other book and the beginning of this book is sort of this personal sort of classic lyric saga of myself. Um, my dad in uh, October of 2014 had a massive stroke. <coughs> and he did not die. And a lot of people would have. And he did not, much to his dismay. And he lived another 1,000, 1,200 days, something like that, unable to walk or talk, although he was mentally with it probably about 85% of what he was. And he kept his personality intact, which was very fortunate because he was a lovely person and father and stuff. But um, so then I was just like, oh, all those other things I was so upset about, yeah, that's really very quaint. Um, and I really became face-to-face -face as much as you can when it's not happening to you with what suffering really is and, um, you know, dignity and all those kinds of things. So most of the rest of the poems I'm going to read are kind of about that. And when that happened, I really did not write for about a year and a half. I just could, I felt... Um, just stunned and all of my siblings did and we could not believe like this happens to other people not our father he's our good parent yeah. um you know and of course it always happens to the good parent and um and my own face looked like a mosaic to me like i couldn't recognize myself for many months afterward and i think i was so grief stricken um and at the beginning we were thinking he was going to die any minute and then he didn't and then we were like we can't ever leave him alone um, and then eventually he never was left alone but um you know you're on call in a certain way. So these are some of the first poems appear in this book, and then I'm going to read you some newer things. Um, so it was right this time of year. Uh, this is called Sitting Beside My Father After the Stroke. Then it came time to hold the suffering. So long, ordinary heartache, my boon companion. Moon and stars, I see you. Wait up. This is autumnal, by which I mean vibrant. The maple leaf I bring, he inspects and sets down. My face he cups. Christ is his hand. That's the thing about Jesus, um, so to speak. That's a great title. Um, it, uh, you know, I grew up thinking that Christ was his last name, kind of. It's not. It's like his function, and you could be Christ for anybody. You know, so you could think about like, doing that later this evening, maybe, if you want. This is called Poetry, or On Staying Put. For months, nothing need be written. Grief behaves how it wants. I take up embroidery. I set it down. Theories don't come close. A handkerchief may be beautiful, too. Up to now, my work has been to hope. My fathers were plain white, ironing them a girlhood pastime. I repeat myself when I can't help myself. That's just the nature of it. What is practical for me? How shall I live? Does anybody else remember when fathers carried handkerchiefs? We really did um, iron them, and we thought that was like, that was nice, something you could do for dad or whatever. I mean, I think people would be shocked to do such a thing now. Um, one of the things my dad did, he couldn't talk. He tried speech therapy for a long time, and he would perseverate on sounds and never could. He could only say his own name, Joe, and he could say wow, and he could say no, and okay. That was it. And then right before he died, he started to cry out mama, which apparently people do, and he had never said that word. His mother died when he was 12. He never um, really talked about her. He'd um, but one of the things he could do, he, my dad could play the piano, and he was uh, paralyzed on the right, but he could play both left and right hand with the left hand, because that's the other side of the brain, so he could still do that. And he would s sing at night, especially. Um, and eventually, he was home with 24-hour care, but we were always there. One of us was always there as well, one of us kids, and he would sing like 3 in the morning. And it wasn't words, it was more like melodic 
sometimes super mournful, like most mournful, amazing grace you could imagine, or other times something, I don't know. Um, but it's very dramatic when someone who cannot speak sings loud enough because there's a monitor in the room that the whole house can hear this singing. It's pretty unnerving. It's like, good luck, you know, you go to bed in that environment. But anyway, um, and sometimes it seemed like he was singing to comfort himself and the self-soothing, and other times it was very beautiful and he didn't seem upset. It was intense. This, ha this in this poem. This is called Unto Himself. My father is singing a song without need of words. Remember that one? And then the ever since God came down, the or else arrived. I try to go back, imagine him a boy. He raised rabbits, killed chickens because it was Friday, made himself useful, made himself scarce, missed his mother, must have. Where does he go now, singing? I meant to say earlier that um, I'm happy to take questions at the end and also during if you suddenly feel moved to say something or ask something or complain or whatever. <laughs> I take your complaints. Um, this is called Beautiful Secret Something. I hold my problem. My jaw aches with it. Things end with no regard for me. This is the way. I bake, I mend. The dough lies on the wooded hillside. Pretend as I may, she isn't me. I wake each night for an hour to grieve. I think to cut something exquisite from the pain and carry just that. Leave the rest in a heap. Come morning, I understand. Part of the mystery has gone deeper. Part of the mystery is in plain sight. Have you heard this idea that whatever time you wake up in the middle of the night means something? It means both what's going on in your body and like what kind of digestion or like that's the, that's the hour of the liver or whatever, like cleaning itself. And also means something about anger or sadness. And I think three o'clock is anger. Is that correct? Yeah, have you heard? Look that up. Look up like um, what would the search terms for that be? Um, Someone like to come in. Yeah, like, you know, waking at night and emotions or something like that. It, there's something about that. Mm -hmm. This is the title poem, and this is uh, uh, from a line from Levertov, Air, Light, Dust, Shadow, Distance. Or you could call it lasting happiness. It's hard to start, but once begun, feels fine. Hi, sweetie, I said to the chipmunk who paused. By the woman, by the pool, a woman hoped her parents might do the same. This is how the Lord provides, she told them. I agree in different words. Sometimes I make a poem of it. Sank foil along the running path, a pine cone to pick up. I feel better already, mostly. There are things about me I like that others don't. You too? It's a joy to realize. All the while, my father suffers exactly how he didn't want. In honor of him, I grow up. Um, there's a children's book that I'm sure is long out of print, but my sisters and I loved it when we were girls called Katie Comes Next. Does anybody remember this book? And Katie... Um, the little girl in the book, her name is Ruth, and one of my sisters is named Ruth, so that also was like, oh, it's, she's practically in the book, you know. I don't know. It's the 70s, bless you. Uh, but in Katie Comes Next, um, Ruth's parents are, uh, they own a doll hospital, which we had growing up, too. In Michigan, there was a doll hospital, and uh, they're always busy helping other people's dolls, other girls' dolls, and Ruth is always waiting with Katie to have her special day and, like, get her new, like, new head basically you know you can put like a new hat and a new dress and it's a beautiful book and there are some kind of charcoal line drawings and then also a few pages that are in color you know in 1975 that was like hardcore 
beauty. And um, although I'm sure the book is much older than that. And so I would look at this book all the time and pick out the dresses that I wanted, the doll dresses. You know, I'm very much a dolls kind of girl. Some people hate dolls. People love them or hate them. I love them. Hi, Emily. I didn't see you there. I didn't realize. Um, so anyway, Katie comes next, and that, that book is, is mentioned here. This is called No Occasion. In the book, a girl and her doll wait their turn. In line, I look around. Who else's heart is broken? Weather helps, a true companion. It's the wind story the tree tells, or is it? Am I not heard or just keeping quiet? Each doll dress was perfect down to the details. Past and future don't matter, but I think of them. Longing is the oldest thing about me. Okay. Are you doing okay? Okay, good. I'm going to read you some uh, newer poems, things that I hope will be part of the next book, although one never knows. Um, one should never really believe in that till it happens. Okay, thanks. Um, I, I would like the next book to be called The Return from Calvary. My um, maternal grandmother had this super scary painting in her living room, very stylized, super early uh, 20th century painting, like 1906 or something, picture of Mary and the other women leaving the crucifixion. And they're like walking up this like beautiful, like Roman looking landscape. I mean, they look like models, but it's a really dark palette. And it's, I was always like, oh, I knew it was a scary painting. And, what, and, they, and I never liked it. But now, of course, I do because I'm a poet and older and stuff. But when my dad had his stroke, I was like, oh my gosh, I understand that painting. Um, so anyway, this is the title of the painting is The Return from Calvary, and that's the title of this poem, and I hope that book. The Return from Calvary. Sunset two in a low key. A little, wait, what? I'm thinking of my father, everything he'll ever say now said. And of the painting of the sorrow I was so afraid of. Days and weeks to come we can't imagine for our own good. Something persists, something grows tender, nothing explains itself. As in the hospital, early and late, such disbelief. The bars of the bed are for railing against, his fist found out. God is sensible but not reasonable, everywhere I look. the kingdom, the power. Suffering goes on too long, doesn't it? For inspiration, Jesus drank from the cup that was, of course, his life. Like anyone, my father must have had other ideas about the future. Defenseless now, he'd like to give up. At a great distance, I wonder what's possible. A train runs along the other side of the river. This is not my town, though I've lived here all these years. We talked about rabbits at dinner. We talked about red foxes. There's a little red fox in this poem. Thank goodness for animals, don't you think? the pets and the other ones just out there. Um, they always turn up just when you need them, I always think. This is called On Safety. Beauty makes some men mean. I never can console them enough. Lifetimes later, maybe, a little red fox lies on the side of the road. I'm the type to notice. I help myself that way and dream my father more alive. He waits again by the library door, as he is, was, and always will be. I held the book, any book, to my heart everlastingly. The rain is heavier now. It is dusk. Someone whistles in the street. Is it a man? It must be. I don't think women whistle in the street. Do you all think that women 
taking that. Um, when my dad died, he died at home, and I was there. Uh, I was there, and one of his at-home nurses was there, and my brother. And um, and then afterward, the nurse went out in the living room to talk to another nurse who was arriving, and my brother went to do something with my mom, and I was um, uh, both with the body and also in the kitchen, which was next to the room. He died in a bedroom near the kitchen, and I was sitting in the kitchen, and um, and I had called and told all my sisters and everything, and then I, uh, I had this experience where I felt that he was in the kitchen with me, and this poem details that. And it took me a long, long time to write it. It's actually, I have it in two poems, actually. And this poem is in two sections, and I finally wrote it as I was driving from the Pittsburgh airport back to Morgantown, and I saw some deer, and I was like, oh, now I understand. Um, so this is called Seven Deer on a Ridge. Right after, from the upper corner of the kitchen, where I suppose he waited, it was as though he called my name or lifted my face as he had often done. And I said, what? Just what to my father? Then promised again I would not give up. Vivid winter evening sky, a man's blue. I know that because of him. He's gone ahead. It wasn't what we wanted. He loved me despite how I failed him. Surely he will come back. These deer here for the moment must mean that. Uh, there was also the sense um, when he died of, um, you know, like we're all in the room or whatever, but that he was kind of going up this way and we were not. <laughs> um, and he was putting his, for a long time in that last day, was putting his hands up and sort of grabbing at something. And the hospice nurse was there at one point and she said to me, oh, honey, he's not grabbing for you. He's not reaching for you, which he was not. But that's a pretty dramatic thing to say. Uh, but anyway, it was a sense of, we're going one way, he's going the other way. This is called direct, sincere, unassuming, true. Then I climbed back down and he went on. Later I saw him, the five petals of a common flower. Later still a kind of magnolia I hadn't known. What could be better, I guess? Looking for him didn't work, I had to wait. There was so much in between some kindnesses hit hard the clerk who called me honey. I didn't know how I'd go on and did go on. The weather provided continuing interest. Rain, which I like, happened mostly overnight. In the morning, the grass was wet. I must have slept. perfectly good problem. Some anger returns, some sadness. Hello and welcome. I was raised to make the best of it. My father would give me a wink. It was easy to be seen then. Heartbreaking blue most every evening now. I've had this one question so long I look for the answers in old photographs of him. It isn't there, but I look. Or in the clouds, like everyone does. Clouds make the best of the wind. I'd like to run my finger along their edges, if they have edges. In one dream, we sat side by side as his coffin was lowered into the ground. Another night, he told me I was safe. We can't see ourselves ever, really. What if there isn't a way to touch? In the dream, he was wearing a light jacket. This is called Hold My Spot. Those who are berated and those who berate. I think about this. 
just low-grade everyday stuff, but every day. Some tantrums have captive audiences. How come? I fuss alone. I pretend the dappled willow says she will listen, but that's just more nonsense. I think, too, of my father's loneliness. He spoke of it, but not much. He was wistful, imagining just a bit more. Being in the world takes some getting used to. Same with the butterfly house, seems to me. So much at once, nothing quite as planned. I'd have done that differently, says nearly everyone always tiresomely. I uncrook my smile, my smile best I can. Lilacs in bloom, more purples than we have names for. Aren't there other things you'd like to talk about? What was it Charles said about ruin? The moment you move away. I'd like to think it might be okay to fall in love again. Days end, I don't always know how many steps, okay? I meant to say, Charles Wright is the poet. I'll reference him here, Charles, he was a teacher of mine, and he says the moment you move from discovery to something. Certainty is the moment you move to ruin. Mm -hmm. He says that somewhere, I think in, a, uh, in an essay. I mean, he couldn't write, he doesn't know how to write essays, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> he would say that too, he'd just be like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Um, at the end of every semester of the grad poetry workshop, I write a poem for everybody in the class, a personal poem, because I think that I'm more articulate as a poet than I am like you know, writing those comments. You'll see when you get your poems back from me. Um, you know, those like, I really like what you're doing here. I noticed this, I know, I hate that bullshit, I really do. So, um, you know, you just wanna cut to the thing. So I always try to use some of their language or some image that I know appeals to them and then also tell them in poem and show them uh, what I think they should be doing and what they've been doing. And also, um, you know, you get to know people pretty well in grad workshop and just wanting to, s usually there's something I wanna say to them, just like person to person, not, you know, not about poetry, or, you know, whatever. Um, but just like for real. And so this is a poem I wrote for a student last spring and she's a lovely poet and she's someone who was, had to leave the pro program early because of um, having cancer. And so is dealing with that and is, is doing well, but I wrote her this poem and um, so, and it's called Another Time though. How many ridges up would you say? Or how many here to there? In what direction are we headed? Just follow the river, someone always says, as though that's an answer. Some metaphors fail, you know? Some things just don't make sense. On that we agree, carrying on, casual like, a poet's ancient skill, noticing this and that, la la. I'll send word from the North Woods shadow of the red pine, my confidant. You send word of the sunlight. You send word, won't you, of the sunlight. I'm gonna read um, three more for you and then we can take some questions. I should say, sometimes I write poems for undergrads as well, but it's a little more daunting to write like 20 poems and like, alrighty, that's what I'm gonna do this weekend. But sometimes I do, or I'll do it for the whole class or something. But graduate students, you, you end up knowing them really well, and there's, there are things you want to say. This is called Another Version of the Same Thing. A feeling of tautness, as when a cut heals, I suppose. Not sure where, or maybe everywhere, all over. Some would console me, he's a butterfly now. I did see one. Or those five blue jays that day. I write better in the house where I was well loved. His suffering, those long years, I can't explain it, means more to me than almost anything. It's all over except, is it? For no reason I dream of freighters on the big lakes. I look down on them, a playscape I could touch our home. What's going on? And I recall again the last time I failed him, his last October. 
What would you do if you couldn't walk or talk? He used to give me pep talks even when he couldn't speak. Um, I should say, I think I mentioned I'm from Michigan, and so we do think about and talk about things like, let's talk about the freighters or whatever on the lake. Or, um. And that last poem, too, the river, the Monongahela, I mean, you know, this river here is behaving a little more normally, but the Monongahela goes like this, so people were like, well, just follow the river. I'm like, you know, like to go west, just or to go north. I'm like, kind of. I mean, I don't know. I find West Virginia very strange. Um, the terrain makes everything. I'm always off 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. I always, the road that I, the street I live on is a perfect east-west street. I've checked it using the phone, and the phone knows. I swear it's north-south. It feels north-south to me. So every time I leave my house, I'm like, you're going east. I'm like, or north. I mean, <laughs> also known as north. Um, I don't know. In Michigan, we don't have that because it's like the lakes are always, like you can mm -hmm. lie in your bed at night and be like, Lake Huron, Lake Michigan, Lake Superior. That's how it, it feels very, very centered. Um, people think the roads are on a perfect grid. They're not. It's, it's the lakes more. It's rivers are totally unreliable. Um, second to last poem. This is called A Little String of Lights. What is needed here to there? Not to feel extra for one thing, a confidant for another. I've lived here my whole life. August, cicadas start up, the roses are in their glory. There is no consolation otherwise, and not much sympathy. Store clerks are bored too. We talk kindly, no occasion. Or I walk down streets I used to know, many beautiful evenings. Mornings, the grass is tamped down where maybe an animal slept. I use my imagination. What I don't need, I forget. Desire and doubt, trust. I'd rather not repeat myself. A question is forming for you also. Stars come out while you think. And this last poem, um, few years ago, uh, we got to hire another poet at WVU, and I was the search chair and the senior poet, sadly, and um, senior part, not the poet part. And uh, so that meant I got to ask the good question and also do all the terrible search committee work. Um, but everyone else had to ask the dutiful questions about, like, how do grad and undergrad creative writing differ? I mean, like, questions that we kind of know the answers to and we're already bored by. We're just trying to make sure you're not a total psychopath or something. Um, <laughs> But I got to ask the first question, which was, what is poetry, and why do you write it? Yeah. And people were floored by that. We heard yeah. some great answers, um, but they were like, wow, I've never been asked that before. And I was like, yeah, I know. So um, <laughs> that's how it's going to be if we're, if we're the poets together. Um, anyway, we ended up hiring Jenny Johnson. Some of you may know she has a book on Saraband. She was great. And, but after asking that question to so many people, um, I wrote my own poem with that title. And I want to thank you so much for listening. I hope you're writing your questions. So this is called, What is Poetry, and Why Do You Write It? Finally, the sky calms down, and a voice I love comes around a corner, or the air is pink, like time, or evening's last light on that hill, minus its leaves, the shape of the tree. I remember how my first husband told me no. Out of disbelief, I gathered myself. It hardly matters now what I wanted. Thank you so much. So what do you think? What do you want to say? Um, so you mentioned um, writing a poem or a poem being very much of that moment. Mm -hmm. um, that you're writing it, and you also called the, the sort of larger project a, a, a saga of you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's Lyric Poetry is the saga of you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering about sequencing your poems mm -hmm. and how, how much the, the, the ordering of your poems in your books reflect how, how they were written. Yeah. They're, uh, both of these books, I believe, are ordered in the in the order that they were written. And many of my books are like that. Um, 
Beauty Breaks In, which is the book right ahead of uh, My Life in Heaven, is not. They're ordered alphabetically by title. That was the book of the sort of the breakup of my marriage, and, the, and it felt to me like um, there was no progress in the poems because it took a long time for the thing to fully unravel. And so I thought, you know, this should be like the encyclopedia or the dictionary. Just enter at any letter that you need. If you're feeling kind of, you know, L today, just <laughs> enter there, you know. You'll find what you need. It didn't matter. There was no progress um, for many years in that marriage. And so that's how that book is ordered. And I think maybe the first book, Captivity Narrative, um, it has these different sections that are called removes because that's what captivity narratives actually had in early American literature. And so those poems are more like thematic and but I don't really write that way anymore. Now I generally order them exactly as I wrote them. And it makes sense because mm -hmm. I know a, a number of the poems start with uh, then, yes. or, right? So, so as, yep. as in like mid-motion, yeah. right? Or referencing something that came, came. And I'm really into, I always mention the weather or the time of year. And if I started to be like, all the autumn poems would be together, it would be weird. It's better to just realize, oh, time's passing, another year, you know, cyclical. And Okay, that's a great title. We'll see if this we'll turns. You should write that down. We'll see if this turns into a question. That's very. Yeah, let's not forget it though. Somebody remember that. It's really good. Okay. I just, I really, I grew up Catholic also, and it's something that you know is all has always been a struggle for me. Not necessarily in the way that like no, I'm not Catholic and lying or anything. It's nothing. It's nothing to. in a lot of these poems just because I felt that sort of same energy and so I mm -hmm. I guess I was just wondering it okay that's an answer <laughs> but thank you for that okay that. well you want me to speak to that yes okay well we'll see if that turns into a question is that what she said yeah. write that down that's a really very very good title you can write to that um when you get it, to, uh, by the way, I write from a title. That's the first thing I have. I don't write a poem and then slap a title on it. And a title like that, you don't need to put anything in that we just talked about. That's got nothing to do with it. That title is a piece of music. You're just going to listen to that as a piece of music, of like um, sound music, but also music with emotional value or something. So you just write from that title. You don't write to it. You write from it. But anyway, um, so... Uh, religious imagery, Catholicism. Yeah, I went to Catholic school all the way through high school, all-girls Catholic school, in fact, um, all-girls high school, and it was intense, and, you know, I'm divorced, so technically I'm not allowed to do anything anymore, what, whatever. I mean, you know, it's a bunch of, these guys just make stuff up, but, um, so I kind of feel like, um, oh, you, like, took my membership card or whatever. I mean, I was also a member of the Nancy Drew fan club, and I still am, like, in my heart, and that's how I feel about you know, um, you know, God is like one thing, and then like Catholicism is something quite different, actually. But um, you just have to go with your sort of your uh, image patterns. I don't know if anyone else is Catholic or grew up at a time where you actually knelt at the communion rail to take communion. I love that shit. That's great. Bring that stuff back. I mean, they need to bring back more of the um, mystery and beauty, I think, and pageantry, and less of the let's try to evangelize other people and get, you know, let's have a um, coffee after church. I don't want to have coffee with you after church. No. <laughs> I want to be, like, quiet with Jesus or whatever. You know, no. Um, so I'm working on a poem right now that has that communion rail in it. I don't know why that occurred to me, but it did. And there's, you know, nobody owns that imagery. And a lot of people be like, that's upsetting. And we were, uh, when I was in second grade and we made our first communion, the teacher said, um, this is right when they were switching to taking communion in your own hand and not being fed. She was like, well, we don't need to be fed. We are, um, you know, full people in our own right, and we're all like seven years old. We're like, what? Well, no, we're not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, you know, you know how little kids look kind of doughy? Like, at seven, you're still very doughy. And so, and so, like, that was the thinking. It was like, this was an affront to be fed communion. I was like, oh, my God, the stuff people make up on top, I mean, on top of other stuff that's already been made up, it's so many layers. It just, I don't know why you would do it if it didn't feel good or, you know. Um, anyway, I don't know if that answered any of that. Or I can go on and on about that if you want me to. It's, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a question, but I'm okay. going to sneak up the board if you want. 
things that you're so tied to a period of time, mm-hmm. what does the revision process look like? How do you balance mm-hmm. the original moment with this moment? Well, the original moment might take a month mm-hmm. or six months, but I, um, other than that time for Canyon Review, I don't go back. I mean, I'm really, uh, I write a line at a time, and I do not go on until the line is right. Um, Charles Wright used to talk about, he, again, he was a teacher of mine, super influential. He always talks about writing a stanza at a time, and he's very stanza-oriented. Um, but I write a line at a time, and if I don't think, and I'm always, it's always this side of my body, I'm always, like, listening at this ear. If I don't think that it's the right line, I don't go on. I'm not some of these people who's like, let me just get a draft out, shitty first drafts. That's a prose strategy to me. That's not a poem strategy. Poems are um, a, a line, we're going to talk about this tomorrow in the class, a, a line of music. It's a piece of music. So you can't just throw any other words in there and be like, okay, well, I'll come back and fix that up later. No. I, m- I might read through the poem and think, oh, there's something a little bit off there, and I record myself um, reading it, and I listen back. You get very used to hearing your own voice. And But I would get that cleaned up before I... Um, before the moment would be done. So it's not like, let me just crank out some drafts. So if anyone's doing that thing where you write poems out as prose and then you chop them up into lines, don't tell me about it. It's really (laughs) upsetting to me. That's that's not, the line is, um, it's the method of thinking. You can't, poems are not chopped up prose. Even ones that are deliberately prosy, that's not what they are. My question is related to that. First, I have to say that like I've learned more about poetic craft in the last 15 minutes or so. Oh, good. I love talking about it. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering about sentences, because as I was listening Yes, to I do you, write them. I thought, not only do you write them, but it's entirety. The entirety of your work is in sentences. Mm-hmm. And I thought, now that's interesting, because mm-hmm. normally poetry is a place where we deviate from the standards of prose, and prose, we, we know, is in sentences, but poetry maybe the unit of measure is not the sentence. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm just wondering how you think about sentences and um, whether you've got a kind of metrical uh, technique that you employ to um, frustrate or complicate the sense-making aspect mm-hmm. of the sentence. First of all, I love the phrase unit of measure. That's my, I use that too. The line is still the unit of measure. Um, these two books have a lot of line and sentence are coinciding. Okay. There are certain lines that have multiple sentences in them, uh, but I don't jam heavily. I did it in earlier books. I'm starting to do it a little bit now. Um, for a long time, I've not liked it. It has seemed messy to me, and the material already seems pretty uh, disordering, to use a Greg Orr term, and so trying to find some order. Um, so it's still the line. It usually is a full sentence. I'm also one of these people I like sentences and punctuation and capitalization where I just like standard written English. I know people have a lot of problems with that and stuff. I like it. There's so many other things going on I would like you to think about when you're reading my work. It's like uh, the emotions, not just the ones that I've had or that the speaker <coughs> has or whatever, but the ones that are brought up for you. That's what poems are about, right? They're intensely personal so that you, there's, you're sent back to yourself. That's why we want them to be clear. So we're not like, wait a minute, what, did, what had happened to her? It's not about what happened to me. It's about what happened to you. But I have to say my thing clearly so you can get sent back. Right? But in terms of um, line, um, I scan a lot of my lines. And um, believe free verse should be scanned. It doesn't mean that it's um, patterned in the same way. But I'm very used to that. And I, um, I think that my greatest gift as a poet, thank God, is having a pretty good ear. I'm not a super narrative poet. I don't enjoy making images. And some people are like so imaginative. I'm not really imaginative. I'm just good at, you say, we'll see if this turns into a question. And I'm like, that's a piece of music. I can hear that musical quality in prosaic language. Um, so that's kind of the biggest, biggest thing. But I always am telling my students, you've really got to write a line at a time. Um, you know, again, Charles Wright would say, if you're going to tell a story, tell a story. If you're going to write a poem, write a poem. So some people like found determined to tell their story in the shape of a poem. It's like that's wearing poems clothing or whatever, or using a lot of white space. But that's not what a poem is. Um, a poem is music first and foremost. And so I think that has to do with that composition by line and really 
I'm always using this, it, it is, I like, I put the line, doesn't mean that the lines are all the same length or anything like that, but they all have the same kind of heft to them. And it's like putting bricks down or like a giant noodle or something, you're carrying like this giant wet noodle and you're just like, okay, now another, um, they have a certain shape to them, the shapeliness, I guess I would say. I don't know if that answers your question or. I always think you want to have the ending sound like it came through a funnel. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't um, cut beginnings off or endings off. doesn't mean I don't write some bad lines once in a while, but I don't sit down until I have a title and a first line. I might have them in my phone. Like, I'll have a list of, of um, pieces of music <laughs> in my phone, and it might be a single word that I like, or it might be a whole phrase. And I'm waiting for a couple of those to come together, and then I'll be like, oh, that sounds like a first line. And so I'll have the title of my first line, and I kind of like look around <laughs> or wait or see, do I have anything else written in my phone? And, or I'll think, what else did I notice today? What caught my eye? That's probably part of it. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, and if there isn't anything, I'm like, oh, that's okay. I'm always willing to walk away from the poem. Of course, I have the benefit of being older and having a job and not writing for a class. I don't have a poem due next Wednesday or something like that. So that is different than student writing, but also you know, when you're doing it a long time, you want to be able to, um, I try not to write any poem that doesn't need to be written. You know, when you're young, you want to read a lot and write a lot, keep priming the pump, but I'm always trying to, um, does that need to be said? No, it doesn't. Which makes things like department meetings really exhausting because most of that does not need to be said, <laughs> really. I mean, a lot of people feel like, I've got to say my thing, you're like, okay, but so many times, you know? Um, but so to me, I hear a lot of excess and I'm always like trying to like, get it off my <laughs> person. That's how it feels. Yes? Um, I think this kind of doubles, um, or dovetails a little bit with, uh, like when you talk about clarity and things like that. Mm -hmm. and, like one of the things I noticed in your work is that you use a lot of declarative statements. Mm -hmm. And I think, I was kind of curious what your thoughts about that, partly because I think we tell ourselves students a lot about just the show don't tell mm -hmm. and yeah. so I think though at some point you always have to go and be like well you can tell sometimes <laughs> that's like, right and so like thinking about how do you balance those yeah. for yourself yeah we do teach people at the beginning like rely on images images you know always end on an image I don't do that um you know you know don't write with abstraction okay Jory Graham doesn't do it that way but okay you know uh so yeah I I'm not an image maker, but I think I'm always saying to students, other things act like image. The reason we like image or we say it works or whatever is it appeals to the senses, it has a familiarity to it. Well, so does cliched language. Mm -hmm. So does language like, um, I think I read you the poem that has a second line, hello and welcome. Tonally, <coughs> that does the same kind of work that image does. It's like, oh, that's a familiar moment. It's a touchstone moment. That's all we're saying when we tell people to write with images. Like, Give us some touchstones, and that's the easiest one to give. It's still hard as hell to write an image mm -hmm. and to write a beautiful one. And um, you know how sometimes um, students will, there'll be some people who just are really gifted in just describing reality, and other people can't seem to do it. And you're just like, I don't know why I can't really see that, but there's just something weird about it, right? But my number one advice is always like, be more present in the world to images and also to language like hello and welcome. and. Um, you know, anything that does that same sort of touchstone-y thing. So yeah. in a follow-up to that, do you, since we were talking about ear, do you feel like musicality is a touchstone for you? Yeah, I think I'm able to hear um, phrases that, uh, that deliver on the page. And that doesn't mean that the poems are not opaque at certain moments. I know that they are. But it's kind of a mix of both of those things. Thank you. Uh, and I've also enjoyed hearing you talk about writing. Mm -hmm. You've talked a lot about music mm -hmm. in relation to poetry. Mm -hmm. Do you mean something different by the word music when you're talking about poetry than you do when you're 
talking about music? <laughs> that's a great question, actually. There's a title in there somewhere. It's a long one, but that's a good title. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that I do, but maybe other people would think so. I don't know. I think that what we like um, about music, and I, I mean music without words, right? You like go to the symphony or whatever, you know what it means. There are musical phrases, certain things come back. This is going to come up in a couple of the uh, students' poems tomorrow. It's like, uh, can we have a refrain or something? Which would be another kind of touchstone, you know, so you kind of where we know where we are within this orchestral movement. Um, and I don't really know a lot about these things at all, but I have, you know, I took piano for many, many years and never gotten better, you know, interestingly. But, um, but it makes sense to me that there is a, you know, like a, a key signature and there are sharps and flats and there is a measure. And I feel like poetry is one of the few disciplines that people feel like it's okay to take it up with n without learning any of the underpinnings of it. It's always a little alarming. Like um, my colleague Jenny Johnson, she and I have both, uh, I don't know why, must be something like in the water in West Virginia. She said to me the other day, um, did I tell you I've taken up ukulele? And I was like, why no, Jenny, you did not. And um, I have taken up belly dancing recently. It's amazing. It's really hard. But anyway, we're talking about, so every week she's like, hey, how's belly dancing? I'm like, how's the ukulele? And um, we were talking the other day about both of these things. There are like you can't just, you can just strum the ukulele till the cows come home or whatever, but there's actually things to know. They're like chords and stuff, and you wouldn't dream of taking the lessons and not doing that and learning like the language of music. And belly dancing, there are moves to do, and there's like rhythm. You wouldn't be like, well, I'm just gonna ignore the rhythm. Well, then you're not doing it, right? But for some reason, in teaching creative writing, it is, there is more resistance. So like, I can't do it that way. Like, well, you don't have to, but that is how it's been done. And there's kind of a long history of it. And language is inherently has musical qualities. So even if you don't want to engage with them, I don't know how you're going to, they're going to be present whether you want them there or not. And like tomorrow we're going to talk about Keats. I mean, you don't, you don't have to like Keats, but he's present in what you're doing, whether you know it or not. And that's part of what, you know. So um, anyway, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but m music to me is, is a huge underpinning of poetry. It's not just your feelings or using fewer words in a lot of white space. Right. And the white space is part of the music as well. Other, uh, yes, you, you stopped about a little after a third of the way through, maybe a half of the way through, and mentioned your dad mm -hmm. and um, his death and mm -hmm. the last 30 years and all. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the poetry that you, the, you read much of it referred back to him and mm -hmm. his death and all. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you, um, do you see your poetry differently mm -hmm. after his death? Do you see poetry in general differently? I see or everything differently. Well, I was kind yeah, of sensing that, everything. but I didn't want to derail your question. Yeah, um, really since his stroke, which was October 18, 2014, everything seems different to me. Um, uh, my dad was, very funny and even after the stroke sometimes when he was in a good mood and it's amazing to see someone in that condition who can um, choose to have a good mood <laughs> who can work with his brain chemistry which made it harder than normal and um, and he would pretend to smoke he would sit there and pretend to smoke with his left hand he was never a smoker you know he'd sit like in rehab or whatever and be like I can't do this I'm smoking you know? <laughs> um, so anyways many more I I think that I'm a very funny person, so but even more things seemed funny to me, and many more things seemed absurd. Um, so there's lots of stuff that happens all the time, especially in an English department. I'm just like, what is going on with these people? Oh my God, this is craziness that we even are talking about this for so long. Um, so I, I guess I think the poems to my whole poetic career from graduate school on has been trying to. Um, I remember Charles Wright said to me shortly before I graduated, he was just like, you know, uh, he said some really nice things, but then he said, you know, your poem's like a little acorn. You know, acorns, that's food, <laughs> right? But you gotta crack that thing open. And then I'll never forget that comment. He probably does not recall it at all. And so my whole time, all these years since then, I graduated in 96, that's a long time ago, has been trying to crack that poem open a little bit more, be more relaxed in diction, um, I'm always trying to unpoem it. And that's some advice I'm going to give to students tomorrow, too. Like, don't poem it up. It's, it's right there. Just show us what you see. Don't poem it up. 
Um, and a lot of people are trying to poem things up or you know, drama things up. <laughs> There's drama aplenty. Um, and it's not, um, you know, I mean, I think culturally things have kind of gotten out of control, of course, but you know. So just being, maybe since then, the poems, uh, just trying to, just to say it one thing at a time. Um, That answers that part of it. Yes. Question, but you seem very patient with yourself as a writer. Um, <laughs> yes. How, I mean, well, you kind of talked about just your growth. Mm -hmm. um, how did you get to that point? Like, uh, patient? do you think it just came with experience and um, just life? Just you know, like, yeah. how did you get to be so patient, patient with yourself without wanting to just throw your books and your writing just to the wall and yeah. getting frustrated. Well, you know, I don't, I always think that I'm not very patient and then, and then other people kind of tell me that and then in recent years I was just like, fuck that, I am so patient, oh my God, it is, you know, seriously. But, um, but I have always thought that however I am as a poet, if I could just do that in every part of my life, I would be so happy. Because that is when I'm, I'm thinking most clearly, I don't, um, overreact, I don't rush the poem, I don't, just the other night I was thinking about some situation in my life and I suddenly thought, oh, do the smallest possible thing. That'll probably get written into a poem. Because I was like, oh yeah, right. No, because like people think like action is like a big thing, but patience is an action. And also like doing the smidgiest little thing. Um, drives me crazy when I'm with people. Um, you know some people like they get in the car in the wintertime and they turn the heat all the way up, but it's not warm yet. You know, you're like, can we wait a moment? And then it gets too hot and then they turn it off and you're like, no, no, it's just, it can be modulated. We get a little <laughs> bit more at the beginning and then, but now we're freezing and they go from feast to famine over and over again in the car. That drives me crazy. I like a lot, and my dad was a very, um, he was a scientist, very moderate kind of person. He would say, I didn't read your poem, but he used to say, he saw some guy, young guy, especially doing something he didn't think was right, he'd say, whoa, fella. <laughs> you know, which is not exactly like pulling on there, but just like, can you just calm down a little bit? This isn't a real thing, just so you know. Um, <laughs> so maybe that's kind of, but you know, no one's waiting on my poems. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm waiting on them, but it's not like, oh my God. It's not like, I'm not for brain surgery here. You know, not everything is a total emergency. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where that, how that you cultivate that other than being like, hey, maybe today I'll try to be a smidge more patient. Good, I mean, you'd be like, good job. That was a good smidge. I did it. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be like, people who are like, I'm never going to have any more sugar ever again. Okay, you know, that sounds, and then it's like, oh, cookies, you know. That's, that's too much. It's too dramatic. I don't like all that. <laughs> Just have a cookie. Anything else? Okay, thank you. Stop. So there's time to get books and get them signed. And Definitely. Thank you for coming and thank you for that beautiful presentation. Okay, thank you.